Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast, where Matt and Joe talk about Blizzard Entertainment and its many games. I'm Matt. He's Joe. Hi, Joe. Hello. Um, we're going to try and we actually have a relatively decent amount of questions, so we're going to probably move straight to them. I am going to, however, quickly complain about something, and that is that there's a uh, quest in the Maw where you collect um, burning ingots. It's a daily quest. Uh, and they used to be, like, if you saw them there and a bunch of players would swarm at them, you could all loot them. Like, they'd be, as long as they were up, everybody in the area could loot them. Mm-hmm. Now, as soon as one person loots them, they vanish. Yeah. If you've ever done the Maw, you know why this is a terrible decision. If it's a decision and not a bug. I'm it's hoping a bug, it's a bug. If it's a bug, it's a proof that, you know, there's a d- digital gremlin that hates me. And if this was a deliberate decision, the entire corporation hates me. Which, I... again, the missions of Cyberpunk 2077 is that corporations hate me. So I'm not surprised, but I am hurt. According according to Zell, they're already working on the hotfix, which is good because I already hate going into the mall as it is. Yeah, it, it is, apparently it's not just the mall. The, the quest where you have to go get pine cones while you're a moth... Oh, yeah, no, I hate, oh, okay, that explains I, I, a lot. I already disliked that quest, so making those things player only, yes, no, terrible, terrible, mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. If, the, if there was already a hot fix, good, thanks for letting us know, Corey, because that way I don't have to start weeping inconsolably for an hour. Um, but yeah, I wanted to mention that that's, that's terrible. That's just terrible. And uh, can, can we, I mean, can Joe we also wants add, to complain. Yeah. you want to complain about something, so he's going to get to complain about something, and then we'll move on to <laughs> I was, I was talking about this a little bit in the pre-show and or the break between the pre-show and the main show. Uh, I am really not happy with the way loot is going right now. I don't think it's giving enough of a reward to really make anything you do feel better. In particular, I'm not happy with the vault. I wanted the vault to be a better replacement for coins because I really didn't care for coins to begin with. Uh, simply because even when you were rolling, you were technically rolling against everybody else in the group. Uh, but the vault isn't doing what it promised to do, which was sort of give players an alternate avenue to gear. And the reason I say that is because I've gotten the same bleeping belt for uh, how long has the vault been available? Uh, every week since the vault's been available. So I've been having the same piece of gear for the entirety of the time. Um, and I'm not the only one. And I'm hearing in my, my raid group and people on uh, Twitter that they keep getting the same items and that they or they keep getting downgrades of items or they keep getting an item level upgrade that has nothing good stat wise for their class or spec. And it's almost like something's broken with the vault where it's not respecting your uh, spec choice. It's not respecting your no, itemization. I'll tell you. Here's what the, what's broken with the vault. The vault acts exactly like itemization in World of Warcraft, which is itself horribly broken. And the reason it's horribly broken is that they tried to go back to a more fully randomized set of priorities for gearing. And that worked in vanilla because nobody had any idea uh, that anything else could happen. And I'm going to respond real quick to chat. Uh, Chopin, it's not that I don't do enough content. Trust me, I was bleeding this game for weeks, doing oh, yeah. doing tons of Mythic Pluses. You could ask Matt how often I was on game or in game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. You can say you're not doing enough content, but if you have six potential items in the, in the vault, let's say you have six chances at gear. You only get one. You can only pick one. But there are six things that you've got because you completely clear the raid at the highest difficulty level you can do, and you're doing mythics 
you know, enough mythics in a week to, to fill up three boxes on each of those tiers. Let's say you, so you have six chances. I have lost count of the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, I got the same thing again. Yeah, and not only that, but like there was a week where I had so I had as many choices as I can get, and multiple of those items of the four boxes I had filled, three of the items were the exact same item. Like, there, I'm not saying that the system can't work. I'm just saying in its current form, it's not working. And I think yeah. Matt, Matt and I talked about it a little bit beforehand, and I agree. I think there needs to be some adjustment to respect your gearing, what you currently have, and to take into account where players are at. At the very least, it should never offer you the same item yeah. twice at the, that week. Like, I shouldn't be looking at those three boxes and see the same item twice. Yeah, like, if it was four different items and I had to choose from it, even if none of them were good, I'd probably feel better about it. But when I've seen multiple of the same item, that's that's a problem. That's a big problem. It's like, you really think, like, how many wastes do you think I have? Yeah. Like, and do you think I just, is my armor just going to put belts in all the slots? I'll put belts in the glove slots. I'll put belts in the boot slots. I'm just, stra- I'm, a, I'm a leaf-filled character now. We- I'm covered in belts. <laughs> We joke, we joke that I could build a new set of armor out of nothing but belts, but yeah, it's again, it's not, it's not that I I dislike the idea. I actually really like the idea of it. I think at its core, it's a very good idea. I just think the implementation needs to be tweaked because there are some very large glaring holes. I've submitted my feedback, uh, in official capacity. I've, I've, I know others have as well. I'm hoping that they take a look at it. And I know that this is not an easy thing for them to adjust because adjusting things is never easy when you're doing programming. But I really do hope that they take some time to sit down and look at it and see how they can make it better because it's core concept. I really like it's just not performing. I straight up. I've stopped even doing mythics because it wasn't really worth my time. I might try and get back into mythics now that there's valor points that you can upgrade gear with because you'll get a weapon drop and then you'll work to upgrade it as time goes on. That I could see. But as things currently, as, as things stood until fairly recently, I was like, yeah, what, what difference does it make? I won't get anything running the mythic. And then when the great vault comes up, I won't get anything there. In, in the it's weird- just another, it's another opportunity to be disappointed. At least with a coin roll, the disappointment is immediate. And if, like, if, if Nathria, if the first rate tier was didn't feel as stingy as it did, it probably wouldn't feel as bad as it does either. But like even with the up, even with the boost to item drops, it still feels pretty stingy. Yeah, and like I don't remember feeling like this at the start of Battle for Azeroth. I do not remember feeling like this going into Aldir. I think Battle for Azeroth, though, you gotta you gotta admit that with World Quest gearing the way it was, you could get your gear item level went up pretty fast and you could get, if you weren't getting anything anywhere else, an emissary quest would come up and you'd be like, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something you have here. You don't have emissary quests gears, getting gear upgrades through world quests is much rarer. Yeah. Um, which is why so many people do PVP. Yeah. Because that's what gear upgrades are. But yeah. I think we should move on. We should move on. Yeah. Otherwise agree. we're just going to keep complaining about this. And again, not that I hate it. I just want it to be better. <laughs> I just straight up, I straight up hate the great ball. I, I do not like it. I preferred coin rolls because, like I said, the disappointment with the coin roll is immediate. I know whether or not I got it. I don't have to wait until next week to find out, oh, did did anything? Okay, no, nope, nothing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like working 40 hours a week at your job to, know, to learn that you actually owe them money. That's what it feels like. <laughs> All right, but I think we'll move on to some emails before we spend the entirety of the episode on that. Uh, our first question. Oh, actually, do you want to do your, your thing? Before I do the questions, oh, you know, that's a good point. Uh, we're a little disorganized this week, but <laughs> uh, guys, if you have a question for the show, 
uh, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch. We go through those emails and, and we pull them out for, for this show. Uh, and we'll aptly talk about any Blizzard game. It doesn't have to be World of Warcraft. Um, for instance, a couple of Diablo ones in here this week. Uh, but also, if you don't want to do that, if you want to hit up our Discord server, we have the Patron Q and Podcast Questions channel for patrons. Uh, that gets looked at first because if you're a patron, you know, we, what's one of the benefits is we take your questions for this show. Uh, but if you're not a patron, we still do want to hear from you. We still do enjoy getting questions from people. Um, that's the Q Questions channel on our Discord as well. So there's, there's multiple ways to get a question to us, and we're more than happy to talk about any Blizzard game or even... On rare occasions, we've gone off onto weird tangents. To us, weird tangents. Uh, no, so so feel free. Uh, whatever you want to talk to us about. We're, we're, and Joe is going to be looking at chat when he can, and he'll probably pull a few things out of there to talk about as well. So if you're here live with us right now, we we do appreciate you talking. It's it's good to get more stuff in here. I've heard um, audience interaction is good. Therefore, we should do that. So please, yeah, seriously, while we're reading these off, if you have questions and you're here for chat, uh, throw them in there. I'll try to grab them. But our first question comes from Tetsemi. Uh, question for Blizzard Watch. Hindsight being 2020, what system in WoW seems like it got way too much development time for how much attention use you get out of it, and what system needs more attention? Do you feel that allowing add-ons in WoW has allowed the development team to let some systems slide because the add-ons pick up for lacking quirky features? Uh, to answer the second part of your question first... No, I don't think add-ons have allowed that so much as add-ons often give them ideas for things that they later on do. Mm -hmm. um, the revamp of the auction house is a big example of that. Um, but I will say, I feel like at this point, mission table stuff has been getting declining in my interest in doing it. It has declined every expansion it's been a part of. Like, I wasn't, and I'll be completely honest, I wasn't terribly interested in doing mission table stuff back in Warlords of Draenor when it was the number one way people were amassing millions of gold. It wasn't something I was particularly interested in. Then in Legion, I was interested in it significantly less than that. I was like, oh my god, I have to do this. It's really bothersome and cumbersome, and I don't want to, but I have to. All right, I'll hold my nose and do it. Then I got to Battle for Azeroth, and I straight up didn't do it. Like, I just didn't do it. It was there, it wanted me to do it, and I refused. I was like, nope, I am not spending my time on this. And now, we're here in, in, in Shadowlands, and it's back, and now it's kind of like a dungeon auto-battler. And I'm like, I'm doing this, I feel like I'm doing this entirely under protest. I, I wish it felt more like a ba an auto-battler. It doesn't feel like an auto-battler. It just feels like, hey, here's a mission table. It's got some animations now. That's it. That's all it feels like. And it, the animations are, this piece moves forward and smacks. And this piece moves forward and smacks. Like, it, it's not an auto chess table. I've played auto chess. I've played the, the Riot one. It doesn't feel like that at all. Not even close. I think that's part of the problem is the trying to use the the uh, framework they already had in this way. And, it, and I understand why you do that. And I even think... If this was the first time I was exposed to the mission table, like if this was brand new mission table for this expansion, I probably would think it was pretty good. But I'm, I just, we've seen the, of all the things to to hold on from like expansion to expansion, this one baffles me. Like yeah. In terms of it's, it just, my God, this this thing won't die. Like, like I, I mean, 
like I liked it during Warlords of Draenor. Like I thought that I, I thought that it was actually a good addition there. It felt it made sense. You were called the commander. You were commanding the forces. You were, you know, doing the shipyard. You were doing that stuff. It it was it my favorite thing. No, but it felt better compared to the ones that we got after it. And the the amount of time that's been pushed back into it, I guess I just don't understand. And I know some people. Uh, and my guild really like it and they like maximize it and they try to do uh, everything through it to get their soul ash and to get their, their animal power uh, to get mounts and, and pets and stuff like that. And they like doing that. That's not me though. Like I liked when warlords of Draenor felt like I was literally sending minions to go do stuff that felt like it was contributing to an effort. Cool. I'm there for that. That that's fine. I, I dig that. I'd rather go do like an achievement run or uh, go through and kill a boss or do something quest wise or a chain of quests or solve a puzzle to get a mount or to get a uh, a pet or something like that. It's just uh, it, I'm with you. It baffles me how this is still a thing. And like I'd, I'm not saying that I will never tell them what to do with their development time because I'm not them. Uh, maybe somebody was very passionate about it uh, and w really poured a lot of time into it. And, and I applaud them for doing that. I just don't like it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, ultimately for me, it's the same thing. It's, it's not that it's bad. I mean, like I've said, I think they've improved it significantly as a pure mission table. It's better now than it was, but I'm not a huge fan of mission tables. So I'm ultimately it's, I keep going back. One of my favorite additions to World of Warcraft, one of the best systems in World of Warcraft, bar none, is pet battling. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say this, every time I say this, I say this this next part. It's because I can completely ignore pet battling. <laughs> I have never done a pet battle since it came out. I think I did two. And then I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And I can not do this. If I want to do it, it's there. I can do it. But I don't have to. I never feel pressured to. And so I live in this perfect world where, to me, pet battling is something my friends do and get really excited about, and I'm happy for them. Yep. Not resentful. Yep. There's, there's never any period of time. Whoever originally came up with the pet battles, whoever implemented the systems, whoever is responsible for them, you are a genius. And you have done an amazing thing. And quite frankly, they should be doing more like that. Um, and I don't, I don't know how, I don't know what, what to do to make the game, other stuff like that, but, but kudos, chef's kiss, that system is amazing. Yeah. And you know what? And I, and I like it too, because it's, it sing, it speaks to my sense of collecting and like, that's something I do enjoy, but it's also something I don't feel compelled to have to do. Right. Like you said, yeah, like you, you can ignore it. Do it. Yeah, You don't even need to do it to get the special cool pets. And for most part, some of them you do. But a lot of them, you just go run a dungeon or an old raid, and, and you can get neat pets without having to like do anything. And that's cool. I, I like. I have a lot of pets that I actually, I'll even bring them out sometimes. I like having them. I don't want to make them fight anybody. If I were a Pokemon trainer, I'd be the worst Pokemon trainer ever, because all my Pokemon would be sitting in my house. Uh, like, oh, when do we do the fighting part? No, no, none of that. We'll just be living here. All, all 500 of you will be living in this house with me. Like, it's kind of crowded. Yeah, well, you'll be living in balls for most of it. Yeah, so I, I like it. I like the system. I like that I don't have to take part in it. Yeah. Uh, as far as what I would like to see get more attention, I don't know. 
I don't know what system I, f- I feel is really lacking besides me complaining about the Great Vault again, um, but I don't know that necessarily constitutes a game system uh, as opposed to just what it is. But it is one of those things that I think moving development away from maybe the mission table and each expansion and finding something else to invest in would not be the worst idea. But that's just my two cents. And as far as the add-on question goes, I don't think that the WoW devs rely on add-ons so much as the other way around. Uh, I think it's the add-ons just fill gaps or niches. And we've seen over the years, uh, Blizzard has ingested add-ons into core functionality of the UI. I mean, heck, there's voice chat in the game. Uh, And if you think that's not an add-on, that's basically what TeamSpeak and Mumble and Ventrilo and Discord have all been for years. They are in addition to the game. Um, so, like, yeah, I don't know. They, they try to ingest a lot of that stuff into it. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily uh, that they let slide. I think it's just add-ons exist to serve very specific niche functions or to allow further control where the game system doesn't. Uh, and, yeah, that, I think that's just pretty much it i think we can move on though unless there's anything else you want to add nope let's go all right next one is from theraval question for the pod do d3 followers benefit from the wardrobe armory i'd love to be able to swap between gr push and farming sets for example and have it include my follower i'm at the armory when i asked about the wardrobe but that was interesting too uh i don't know if they will if their gear sets will be they don't currently if you want to manage your your follower Keep in mind that you know the patch hasn't come out yet. If you want to currently manage your followers' smaller inventory, you have to go into their character sheet and do it manually. Uh, as far as I know, it's not. If it is in the armory and I've missed it, that's on brand for me. Uh, it is the kind of thing I wouldn't even think to look for. So if I'm giving you bad advice, I'm sorry. But as far as I can tell, I do not believe that it, it currently works on that. Now, since they're doing the big follower revamp, uh, I hope that if they haven't already put that in, that they do put that in. I think that you sh- if you're going to be giving us a more complicated armory, you're basically giving us more complicated gearing setup to, to manage on our followers, you should make it as automated as possible so people don't have to like you know open and close multiple windows and get stuff in, in place. But as far as I know, it is not currently set up to do that. It, it does your gear. It doesn't do your followers' gear. That's That's my current understanding of it. Yeah, I really don't have anything to say about that because, well, I did not. As to be honest, it. when I play Diablo, I'm almost always playing with my wife, so I don't even have a follower with me. And as a result, even if you does, even if it does let you manage the follower, I would not know because I never have a follower out. So that's part of the problem. Mm, that's fair. All right, I am going to move on to our next one. Unless there's anything else you want to add. Nope. All right, this one comes from Corey. Uh, question for the podcast. What What's with the lack of faction-based storytelling in Shadowlands? I'm not saying it has to be all rah-rah, other faction is bad. I just think it's weird that there isn't any Horde or Alliance-specific quests. Uh, because that was sort of last expansion story, and we're kind of putting a pin in it because we have something other to deal with right now. We often... Faction-based storytelling often takes a side seat for a little while whenever we start dealing with an other uh good examples legion we were dealing with other uh warlords of draenor we were dealing with other uh even though there was some 
uh, faction specific storytelling. Actually, actually, let me like jump off of you here. Yeah, go ahead. I think Joe's made a really good point here. When there's an example of a place like, for instance, in Warlords of Draenor, there was a way to work faction-based storytelling into the narrative fairly seamlessly because each faction could have a place that was theirs and theirs alone. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas with Shadowlands, it'd be really odd if the Horde got to have, say, you know, Ardenweald to themselves and the Alliance got to have Revendreth. Since there's no... Since there's there's a direct through line in the story here, you can't like pick a zone and have that zone be just for this faction. It doesn't work the same way because the way the narrative is <laughs> unfolding this time. So it's very hard to set up individual faction quest givers. You could put them in, like you could have a like the each the horde and the alliance each has specific quest givers and- in each of these weird like afterlifey places, but it doesn't really feel like it fits the flow of what we're doing. And- and I would almost argue that some of them do have some faction-specific storytelling going on, uh, at least in, from the aspect of Ardenweld, where your class campaign in Ardenweld is directly tied to the Night Elves in a lot of ways, in a very significant way. Um, I'm not, I haven't gone through all of the campaigns for all of the, the factions, but even with that, it's not our story right now either. Uh, it's not our lands that we're fighting over or fixing. We're not on Azeroth anymore. And that plays a large part of it. A lot of the faction conflict is is tied up in land. It's tied up in territory. It's tied up in Azeroth itself. It's this faction wants this land, so it you know burns down whatever it raises the villages and takes over and that or blows it up with a mana bomb or uh tries to assault it or burn it to the ground with plague or whatever the case is and it's all about land and having places and having these sort of boundaries and borders that butt up against each other it's it's very real worldy in sort of that way when we're in the Shadowlands, we don't have an investment in any of that. Even if you wanted to have an investment and say, oh, Ardenweld and Maldraxxus wouldn't get along, blah, blah, uh, they don't touch each other. They're, they're not even next to each other. They are literally blips in an infinite abyss of, of in-between in the Shadowlands. So there's nothing to really engage in that conflict like there is back on Azeroth either. Um there will probably be tension later on, especially with everything that's happening with Anduin, because even though it's a unified front, the Alliance is probably going to be a little more invested uh, emotionally in Anduin safety. Like, yes, Thrall and Bane are definitely like, oh, we need to go save him. Uh, but it's not the same as Jaina, who looked at him like family. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's going to be some difference, but even then, it's... It's just not that type of story this time around. I think that's really what it boils down to. So. Yeah, and I definitely think there was at least some effort made to distance themselves from the way BFA played out. Uh, not necessarily because they thought BFA was bad, but they felt like that BFA put a pin in that. Yeah, that I mean... This is, what, this is what we were trying to do. We've now done it. We've we've taken the faction conflict and we've made it a big part of our storytelling. Now we're going to move away from that. And that does kind of mean, well... Maybe it's unfortunate if you're if you find it immersive and helpful. 
they're deliberately moving to a place where it's it's outside of that concept on on purpose a very deliberate choice in my opinion and for right now like that may change in the future and oh, we've I'm seen sure, them bounce you know, back and forth between it right yeah. who knows what the next expansion is going to be we have no idea it could be like you know dragon riders of azeroth for all i know <laughs> um so you know we'll, we'll see what happens yeah. Uh, our next question. Uh, greetings, watchers of Frosty Fun. Lord Soth here with another Diablo question, which we all know is for Rossi. Sorry, Joe. No, you're not. I know you. I know you're not. Sorry. He actually uh, answers questions about Diablo from time to time. It's fine. You're I mean, we had a whole episode of Lore Watch about it. I'm just going to throw that. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing a lot of D3 lately, and it got me thinking about what uh, happens to human spirits when they die in the Diablo universe. Obviously, they continue on in some form as Zoltan Cool, and he seemingly unended. Uh, and the seemingly unended number of ghosts that ask for our help in bounties demonstrate. But given the lore of heaven and hell in Diablo, they don't seem like places that human souls would go. So where do they go? Are they just in some ethereal plane on top of sanctuary or is there some sort of, uh, comic realm of the dead? Uh, thank you. Um, thank you for the answers. You guys have the endless questions of the viewers. Uh, well, part of the big thing about Diablo three is finding out, that most souls of the dead from Azeroth, from Sanctuary, sorry, Azeroth. <laughs> sorry, we've been doing a lot of souls of the dead lately, guys. It's it's kind of all run together. But in Diablo 3, uh, Reaper of Souls, you find out that most, like Malthiel first found out about the power of death that he assumed by going to the place where the Worldstone had been because souls from Sanctuary were showing up there. They were actually collecting. When you go to the Pandemonium Fortress, they're there. The, the spirits of the dead are in it, waiting. They don't. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any place to to move past. They're trapped by Malthiel's power. And there's the implication that he he got he went cracked by studying them, by studying their their arrival and their appearance and what it meant. Uh, it seems clear that in the Diablo setting that. He, if the demons make a deal with you, then they absolutely do grab your soul. Oh yeah. They take, they take you down there and torture. You. We see that. Like you see that in Diablo three, when you go through, uh, uh, what is that one area? Like something of torment or whatever. And there's just like humans lashed to the wall and being ripped apart. Like it's, it's visceral. It's there. It exists. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that stuff. So clearly that's the case. The angels don't seem to have any interest in human souls. Like they, they're not, they don't want them for anything. They also don't particularly, you know, so they don't go there. But it, it seems not like the the location that the Worldstone created, the Pandemonium Fortress, is linked to Sanctuary, and the the mortal beings of Sanctuary's spirits seem to return to that spot. At least some of them do. I don't know if the if the implication is that they all go there. Um, obviously, some are ghosts, like you've pointed out. The 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 former queen of Kandurus, you see her ghost in Diablo three, and there's plenty of other spirits like that hanging around. So it seems like some of them actually remain in sanctuary as part of the balance of the place. The whole necromancy, it's it's telling that necromancy is considered a balance thing mm -hmm. in the Diablo setting. It's necromancers are attempting to maintain the balance, and it seems that the balance requires dead people. And you see a lot of dead people in Diablo three. Like there's the ghosts that are fighting the eternal war north of the temple of the Nephilim. There's the guardian of the temple of the Nephilim, who's himself a ghost. There's the guy that sends you to Nephilim rifts and greater rifts, or he's a ghost. So yeah, there's a lot of ghosts, but it does seem that they're connected to the world stone and attempt to return to it, even though it's gone. Now they're still, they're still going to where it sat in the pandemonium fortress. So as to how universal that is, that I can't answer. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things that has always just been a thing. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out as with the World Stone gone and Nephilim sort of like gaining in power, potentially the ones that still exist, uh, how that's going to play out, because I think that might have some interesting implications in the storytelling of Diablo 4 specifically. Uh, I don't know what future that brings, but I, 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 ha- I cannot shake the feeling that these ghosts, the the powerful entities that we've been dealing with, are going to at some point play a part in that. So, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, that's all I got on that one. <laughs> Our next one comes from Pete's mom, uh, Norna here, holy priest, named for the Norns. Question for the podcast: Am I the only one who thinks that Kyrian players should be able to sprout wings to fly once flying is added to the Shadowlands? It only makes sense. Uh, I would argue that as an Ardenwell player, I want fairy wings. Dang it. I want to be a little yeah. fox fairy. I, I would be okay with this. Um, unless they actually just straight up put in a Kyrian allied race and then they should get the wings. I, but yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the idea of like, if we're letting Worgen, you know, drop to all fours and do running wild. And I don't see no reason why we can't let Kyrian get a flying mount as a racial ability or let Kyrian players get wings. At least maybe, maybe just wings in Bastion. If you don't want to let them fly around too much, but, yeah, I, I think there's there's no, I have no problem with the idea of, of players I, getting wings. I actually really like it. I like the idea of instead of having like just another mount, which don't get me wrong, I love mounts. I'll I'll collect mounts all day long. Uh, but instead of just having a traditional mount, doing something a little bit different with the mount, like if it makes sense to give that faction wings, give them wings. If it makes sense to have them uh, pulled around by a comically large amount of imps uh that have ropes that carry you around from place to place do that uh maybe you need a bone chair or something that flies through the air like i'd like to see a little more creativity is not the right word um i'd like to see some variety variety yeah variety is the right word i'd like to see some more variety in the types of mounts or things that are considered mounts especially with things like the covenants and i think they have an opportunity to do some really cool things with it should they so choose and i hope they so choose i'd love to see carrying uh players running around with like angelic wings go for it you know i'd like to be on like i said fairy wings i'd like to be a little little hummingbird uh or, I, or ooh, i just thought something horrible okay okay carrying players like that amount that is basically just a big carrion that grabs them around the midsection and flies them around <laughs> or in my case it yeah. just grabs me by the snoot yeah, but you've, you've seen that, right? Like that yeah. carrying just to grab people and fly, like awkwardly fly them around. And that's your mount. He's just awkwardly flying you around. But yeah, no, Padilla, like Padilla in chat points out, like, yeah, they had jetpacks and Mechagon. Those were cool. Like, that was a really cool little thing. It was a nice little flavor thing. And yeah, you had to go and, and throw some scrap at it to make it a possibility that, sh- you know, that you could use it for X amount of time. It was nifty. I'd love the idea of running around with the, the, the jetpacks. I would make it a point to go find those platforms until I had flying because it was cool. And even afterwards, I would still go do it because it was cool. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just want, I want some more variety is really what it boils down to. 
So, um, our next one comes from our good friend, six K a question for the podcast. Do we need an anima class in general? Most aspects of the game seem to be represented by either class or profession, except anima is an animancer a good idea. Uh, how, how would that entail? Is it just blood magic for the soul? And on that note, are there any other, uh, typological crafts of the game that are missing representation with players options roles? I mean, that's basically just playing a Mogu, ain't it? <laughs> well, it's not the same anima, remember? Yeah, I know. I, I, but, I mean, a, I don't, I don't know. I mean, kind of like anim, people, people in the Shadowlands use anima just the way we use magic and stuff in the in the real world. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's just like kind of like it's just a distilled version of necromancy. It's the power of that living beings generate by being alive, and it's the currency here. I, I feel like it's just a necromancer. It doesn't really actually feel that different. It's just that a necromancer in the living world has to steal the life from things that are currently alive. Whereas since they're already dead in the Shadowlands, it's less creepy in a way. It's it's less horrific because you're not like withering someone to death and, and pulling their vital animal force out of them. You're just kind of like, you know, you, you kill them and they poof into anima. Like that's what the thing that gets me about all the, the various things in in Bastion, the various animals and stuff that you kill for anima. You're killing them for their anima. You're killing them for the life essence. But since they're already dead and living, they live in a world of the dead. It's just kind of, they just kind of poof into anima when you when you slay them. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, you, you got me as to how that works. Uh, but I think in general, it's basically just a necromancer. It really just feels like necromancy. It's just you know because you're already in the land of the dead. It's not like it's going to hurt them that much. Yeah, I mean, although that is an interesting thing, is like, and I know some people have been asking for this since. Uh, wow really became a thing back in the days of everquest you could play a necromancer you could raise the dead uh and have a minion to basically or summons to sort of help you and that was one of the few classes that uh had a pet uh it would come at a an extraordinary cost like you weren't allowed into cities uh <laughs> Because uh, I remember the first time I tried to enter a city with my gnome necromancer after, you know, completing my quest and then being murdered. Uh, but it, w- it would be interesting to see how a class like that might play out in WoW. Uh, and maybe not necessarily just specifically from an anima standpoint, but maybe something more akin to like a more necromantic magic beyond what we already have in the game. We kind of have death Knights with some of that uh, with, you know, army of the dead, raising a ghoul and things like that, but maybe something a little more focused, almost like a warlock uh, interacting with the dead, especially after we come back from the shadowlands, that might be pretty cool. And I understand that the, the Kieran tour aren't exactly down with that as is evident by the uh, Kel'Thuzad stuff that was happening, but I, and I don't think it will ever happen. I don't think we ever need to really add another class to the game. But if it did, I would not be upset if it was a necromancer. I think See, that, that could work. Front. I think I think that we should basically be a, a skin that is basically just a demonology warlock, but that everything it summons is undead instead of a demon. But, but that goes back to what we talked about before. Like skins for the classes is not a terrible idea. No, I, I don't. I've I've argued this a lot. I think that there's certain ideas that would work really well and and could could be done that way. Um, like one thing that comes to mind is the, the shaman having shaman for kilt cultirans, there should be like one that is just skins. Everything is water mm-hmm. and they're tide priests, just the tide priest skin. Um, and I think for necromancers, I think necromancy could definitely be, you could have a warlock skin that is essentially just a necromancer and everything they summon is instead of a demon, it's all undead and dang, you're done. Yeah. 
so yeah, I, I think there's ways to do it. You wouldn't necessarily need to add a new class, but I do think that you know the whole use of anima in the Shadowlands basically just seems like it's just life force. It's just the this, the energy of living things that is brought to the Shadowlands and is used by the Shadowlands to maintain the place. Uh, I think so. I don't think a class that works on anima is necessarily fundamentally any different than a necromancer. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily see a new class for it. Yeah. All right, our next question. Dear Watchers, I was wondering about Diablo genders. Are there any canonical genders for each class in the Diablo games? Also, in Diablo 4, will we be able to switch genders for the classes like Diablo 3? Thanks for your time, Rickles. Yes, for the part about switching. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a male version of the Sorceress, uh, because you Is there going to be a female version of the Druid? Uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure there will be. Um, I know there's, there is for Barbarians. Right. I know you can be male or female. I'm pretty sure for rogues as well. Um, in terms of, like, if you go back to the Diablo games, if you played Diablo 2, you could only play as the one, like, the classes didn't have any variety. Like, if you played a barbarian, you looked like that barbarian. You if were you that barbarian. It, yeah. Like, they had canonical it. names and everything. Yeah. Uh, the same with, like, the, the necromancer, the paladin, the 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 rogue, not the, the assassin, the amazon, the the druid, the druid, all of those. It was all person. You were playing as that person. Can, oh, obviously, except for like the Amazon, there were men and women in all those groups. Um, there were there were men and women inside. You know, there were male and female barbarians. There were men and women studying necromancy. There were men and women who were paladins. There were men and women who were druids. Um, there were men and women who were assassins. It's just that you were playing as a specific one. Same thing in. Uh, the original Diablo, if you were playing uh, the warrior, you were playing Aiden, who was the son of the king. And so that's, that's, that's coming later. They didn't actually say that during the game. At the time, it was just it's some dude um, who was from Tristram, however. Uh, even in the original Diablo at the time, the, the, you were coming home. Yeah. Uh, if you were the, the, the warrior, you were coming home and finding out that everything went to poop. Um, the rogue was just a thief, and the, the uh, sorcerer was just a wandering wizard. But like there's certain groups, like for instance, the Amazons, they Scothus Island has both male men and women on it. Uh, but, and so you could be from the Scothus Islands and be a man or a woman. The Amazons were a specific order of women. And so if you were playing an Amazon, you were playing a woman sorcerer. The sorceress from Diablo two is also a member of the Zanisu order. They had sorcerers as well. In fact, the sorcerer from Diablo was probably a member of the Zanisu. And so, you you know you were playing a specific one. I don't know how they're going to handle that in Diablo Four. I don't remember if they're going to have like the sorcerer and sorceress. Um, I think they probably will, but I can't say for certain. I remember that I remember this was discussed at BlizzCon 2019, but I don't remember what the answer was. But for like the druid and the barbarian, and probably for the rogue as well, yeah, you'll you'll have both. You'll you'll be able to switch. Um, I I don't know about Diablo Immortal, which you didn't ask about. Uh, I do know that, that for instance, there's male and female barbarians there. So I'm pretty sure everybody gets male and female options in Diablo. Pretty much the same as Diablo 3. Yeah, and I mean, it makes a lot of sense for them to, to try to make that a reality for any of the classes going forward and the games going forward. Uh, I mean, first of all, Diablo 3 did a fantastic job with that, I think. Uh, just giving you sort of that option, even with like being able to play as, in, in the particular case, the female necromancer and, and, and little things like that were good. They were cool. They gave players an, an option to sort of uh, have a little bit of self-identity in their preferred class, uh, which is more than some ARPGs actually give you. 
I hope that they stick with that, especially going into Diablo 4, and I don't see a reason why they wouldn't. Same with Diablo Immortal. If it's essentially... I don't want to say it's just a skin because that sounds dismissive to the development process, but it's it makes more sense to try to include them than to try to move away from that. So, and I think it encourages more people to play if they can choose their preferred gender for whatever class they're playing at that particular. Yeah, time. absolutely, absolutely, I totally agree. Um, our next question, though, comes from Roxy. For the podcast, two simple questions. There are never, ever simple questions. Uh, from your friend Roxy. Oh, great watchers of the Frozen Storm, choose your Centurion, Indomitable Phalanx, Praetorian Windblade, or Goliath Crusher, and calling the champions clockwise or counterclockwise. So this seems like a Kyrian thing. I'm narrowing my yeah, eyes. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm straight up, sorry, Roxy, I don't know what you were <laughs> You're talking about the the different uh, mechanical classes, right? So you have the Indomitable Phalanx, which is mechanical cat, the Windblade, which is the weird humanoid, not quite Aarakroka, uh bird machine. I think it runs up to you and picks a fight. Yeah. And then the Crushers, which are the big dudes that do the weird casting that, that is all sorts of... They're like gigantic robot swole bros. Yeah, yeah they're, the, they're the, giant, the giant mechanical swole bros. Um, and yeah, they are world quests. They're also part of the Kyrian campaign stuff if, or Kyrian world stuff. If you have them as a covenant choice, um, honestly, I'm a phalanx person uh, of all the three. It's going to 100% be phalanx. I like um, robot kitties. The giant robot swole bro is going to be what I go with because it's a giant robot swole bro. <laughs> it's not about being beaten to death by a 30 foot tall robot owl. <laughs> Yeah, but I like the idea of just like, oh, it's a mechanical cat. Oh, hi, kitty, kitty. Where's my face? Oh, no. Uh, but yeah, yeah an actual cat can do that. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, phalanx all the way. Uh, and as far as the clockwise or counterclockwise, clockwise, always clockwise for me. I, I have no opinion on the direction of clock. Yeah. And in the world quest, uh, it is a thing where you choose one of the three and you wind up becoming the champion of that that particular uh, choice. I do remember that. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, our next one comes from Memeth. Uh, question for the podcast: Which repair option in a raid, or any? Wow, okay. Which repair option in a raid? So you think has made the most money? Uh, no mount or Jeeves, etc. But an NPC in a raid. There is only one answer to this, and it is Rendell. He has literally been patched to have a pile of gold next to him. If you walk into Castle Nathria, he has a pile of your gold. This is the only NPC who can't put his gold in his pockets or his magical bag of holding because we have given him so much of it. So my See, here's the thing, man. I don't, I don't know if I accept that because those ethereals that repaired your gear in Karazhan, they're ethereals. They just chuck the money onto the astral plane. They don't, they don't care about the money. They just take it from you as part of their weird mentality. So they could have infinite amount of money because they can just store it in another dimension. Uh, yeah, but I mean, we're talking about specific named NPCs. Well, right? he's got a name. I just don't remember it. The, was there one? Oh, yeah. No, there was one in, in Karazhan. I can't remember his name. Yeah. I can't remember it, but he was there. He had a name. He I, wasn't just, you know, random guy. He listen, Rendell, Rendell's still my choice because Rendell's better. I like I like Rendell. He needs I, a tiny I, I, hat. He needs a tiny hat. Rendell needs a, Rendell needs a very expensive tiny hat with all that gold he's taken from us. <laughs> I'm uh, still thinking it's probably that ethereal from Karazhan. <laughs> Uh, mayhap. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's any other really other good candidates for that, because I think most of them have ever been, um, I'm trying to think what other raids had a dedicated NPC for that. 
Well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, for instance, the uh, Trial of the Crusader had the guys right outside, but they were outside. They weren't in the ring. Um, there were a couple of, there were the vendors inside IC, ICC, like on the ground yeah, floor. Yeah, but there were a and, bunch of them, not one yeah, specific. There was a bunch of them. And they also sold gear and stuff, so they weren't, it wasn't as simple as we're just here to repair gear. Those guys, they, those guys prov- provided some functionality. Like, if you got a token, you just went down to the basement and picked it up. Um, if you, you needed to, like, you could pick up a, I remember at the time it was item level 264 gear on those guys, mm-hmm. which, is, which mm-hmm. was as good as no 25 normal gear. You could get some good gear off of them. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't really... This is not something I've tremendously thought about it a ton, but I don't think there was any repair guy... Let's go through the raids, right? Like, So let's let's think about it. So, uh, Molten Core. There was nobody. Not, nobody in there. Blackwing Lair. Don't remember anybody in there. I believe there was one in the original Nax. Uh, maybe? I... The, the one that gave you the quest to get the frost resist gear, maybe? I think so. Um, there's also absolutely one in AQ20 and AQ40. I know that for a fact. Um, there was the one, one in AQ20, was on, he was only there after you did his quest. Yes. Because he was that guy who punched, uh, he was like the one who was in there trying to kill the general and he would yell stuff and you had to like basically escort him through that whole thing and keep him from getting killed by the NPCs. And at the end of it, he would like he became a repair vendor, vendor. Yeah, yeah, and you could buy like patterns off of him. Yes, because uh, I remember him specifically. Uh, let's see. Then there was who the AQ forty one because that I don't remember. There were the various dragons that were in the hallway. So did like, they actually repair things. I didn't yep, know that they did. There that. were one of the one of the dragons down there was a vendor. I remember that specifically because I was thinking, why do you need my gold? You're just a dragon. You're actually a dragon. Why are you here? Uh, but there is a repair vendor in there, uh, or at least there was. I don't know if there still is. I haven't been in AQ40 in forever after I got all the pets. Um, then from there we have the Burning Crusade stuff. The Zulaman and Zulgorub. There were definitely repair NPCs in there. Karazhan, we've already talked about. Uh, what you call it? The one in uh, Hellfire. Tempest Keep did not have one. Uh, Tempest Keep so did not because you Mac- went to the town right outside of it. Magtheridon didn't have one because you would just go to Honor Hold. Uh huh. Um, and so just same with the world bosses. So Magtheridon in, in in Hellfire did not have one. Um, Gruul's Lair did not have one. Yeah, that's right. Gruul's Lair didn't have one because you could mount right I, outside. I don't remember about Serpent Shrine. Oh, Serpent uh, Shrine did. Like- Serpent Shrine did just outside. Okay, yeah, but not actually in the raid. He was in the the area with the dungeon entrances and the raid entrance. Yes, but okay, I'll accept that. I don't remember for sure, but I I, I the caverns of time definitely because you go inside of uh, like the Mount Hygel stuff and things like that. There were yeah, definitely there's vendors in like there. A, there's a special vendor right there when you first zone into yep. the instance as well. Black Temple definitely has some. Yeah, they do. Yeah, because they because you broke it. The broken after right you, in the middle. After you, yeah, after you make friends with the broken, they've got a repair guy. Sunwell, uh, I don't think Sunwell has one because there's tons of vendors on the Isle of Quildanas. No, there is there is a vendor inside the front door with, with, among all the, the NPCs that are doing the healing and stuff like that. Oh, okay. All right. I accept that. I don't remember them, but I accept it. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's Burning Crusade handled then. That's Burning Crusade. So let's go to Wrath. So... Was the first raid in Wrath was back to Nax, Nax I which I don't think Nax had one that time. Definitely did. I no wait no it didn't it didn't have one. Yeah, because there was no vendor for the frost resist gear. Yeah, because I remember I remember having to have uh, flying parties to. Yeah, you would just literally 
either someone would go outside and drop a repair bot because you remember that they mount with the repair mount. The, I think they had the uh, there was a repair mount, but it was it dropped in um, vault, vault. of Yep. Yep. So it's very rare. Uh, uh, but you, you could, could buy like, one too. Up. Yeah, you could mount up outside and, and do repairs right there. But that's an axe. Um, obviously, uh, Obsidian Sanctum didn't have one. Correct. Uh, Mal- Malagos didn't have one. Uh, Olduar, I think, did. Olduar definitely did. Olduar had several inside. Uh, I remember that group of guys up front in the very beginning of it. So I think that's Olduar did. We already um, covered ICC. And we covered uh, Charlie Crusader. They had the guys just outside, so they didn't actually have one. Yeah. Uh, so that moves us to... Cataclysm, right? Cataclysm. Oh, man. Uh, definitely not one in Bastion. Uh, Bastion of Eternal Twilight did not have a repair guy. I don't think there any of not, them did. There wasn't... Yeah. Uh, Firelands had a repair guy just outside. Like, literally just outside. Outside the door. Yeah. Yeah. There were vendors just right there. So that pretty much counts as in the raid. If the guy's standing yeah. in the raid portal... Close enough. Okay. I'll accept that. But uh, in terms of everything else, Dragon Soul did. There were actually they were in the base of uh, Wormrest Temple. So there that's right. Of- yeah, but you had to you had to get to that point first. Yeah, you get to that point first. But once you did, you once you got to Wormrest Temple, there was that guy there who did repairs. Um, so that was that's it for Kata. Then I don't think there's yeah that's it for Kata raids. Uh, Mister Pandaria, whew, I don't think any. Up until siege, and I don't know about siege. And I think I think many of them were outside the raid there, though. So it might have been, yeah. But I I think well, for an example, um, if you were doing the, the like the vault of fear or whatever it was called, there were repair guys in the in the air. I thought there was one inside of Mogashan. Mogashan vaults almost certainly wasn't that I can think of. I can't think of any any place. Siege definitely has them. Heart of fear, I think, is outside. Where did siege have them? Siege of Orgrimmar. They're inside of yeah. inside Where? of Orgrimmar, inside I, of Orgrimmar. The NPCs. I don't. That you, I don't think they 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 work for Alliance, do they? Yeah, I don't they recall. do. Because I was Alliance. I was Alliance at the time. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, because they were just grateful that you because you basically freed them. It was after the Dark Shaman. Oh, those guys. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, and then you get access to the vendors. Then um, Terrace of Endless Spring. I think there was one outside in Veiled Star, but that not, wasn't not very close. That guy yeah. was not close. That that was just you would fly to that guy. He was not anywhere near there. Throne of Thunder. I don't think ha- no. Did it have one internally? No, there was a guy in the sewers right next to the right entrance. next to the entrance. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's I think that's all of of mist done. So let's see, Warlords of Pandaria. Okay. Uh, do 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 What were the what were the raids there? It's been a while. Uh, so we had Warlords of Draenor. I'm looking this up because I'm actually really curious because it's just been so so long. So there's Hellfire Citadel. There was definitely one inside of Hellfire Citadel. Had to I'm be. gonna say upfront, man. Do we have any more questions? We have one more left. I think we should move on to it because we've answered his question. <laughs> and now we've just Sorry. spent like five minutes listing every vendor. <laughs> as, as much as I'm down for this. I got I caught up in it because I, yeah. I was actually very curious because it, it's fascinating how many of them don't have vendors inside of them, like repair people. 
It's it, uh, all right. Well, we got one. We got one last question left. Uh, we will move on. Sorry, folks. I'm sure, it's riveting content. Uh, Hoddle yodels. I'm wondering why we have flight points and why they take so long. As a virtual world, we could click the birds, have a transition screen, uh, and land the destination instantly. If there is a reason for the flight, why can't it be 500% faster? Uh, true, it's great for a bathroom break, but other times I'm just staring at the screen for two minutes. Thanks, Suggle Kitten. I remember that this game was designed to be an inhabitable open world, uh, like most MMOs designed at the time, because this game was designed 21 years ago. They started designing it in 2000. Okay, I'm going to let that sink in. Let yourself soak in it. It was part of the, I think, third wave of MMOs? Third wave of MMOs, yeah. Because there was the first wave, which was, I think, like, um, I, want, I want to say Anarchy Online, but I don't think it was Anarchy Online. It was uh, no, I think Ultima. Ultima Online. Ultima, yeah, Ultima Online. Um, and there were like, you know, second wave was like EverQuest and stuff like that. And people forget that, but EverQuest was not the first MMO or even close to. But EverQuest was the real big one of the second wave. WoW is definitely a third wave. And it's a relatively late third wave. Like games like Hero, you know, City Heroes was a third wave game that came out significantly before WoW. Uh, um, I think it came out a year before. Yeah. And so... By the time WoW came out, there were certain principles that were established in MMOs, and one of them was that you had a big world, a big open world that you wanted players to feel like was huge, and there were secrets everywhere to explore, and there was stuff to go look at and see. And one of the ways they could give you that feeling while still letting you get places was to have flight points. <clears throat> now, if you got on a Griffin and instantly teleported to where they want you wanted to go, then you don't feel like you did any traveling. It's the same thing as clicking a portal and just appearing someplace. That's fine for some things, but they didn't they didn't want to get rid of the idea. At the time they were designing it, portals were relatively few and far between, and for most players, the way you got around was actually traveling to the place you wanted to go. Which meant, for example, when you were leveling up and you needed to go to, say, Stranglethorn, and you'd been adventuring in Booty Bay, you'd get on a boat. Mm -hmm. And when you were in Stranglethorn... You had in order to get to the next flight point, you had to physically go there first. And think about and it. that's you know that was all part of this, the, giving you the feeling of a big open world that you were actually in. Well, think about it this way too, right? Like you can literally get on a horse or not, because back in the day, like if you couldn't afford a mount, you walked everywhere or ran everywhere. You could walk from one end of a continent to the other and not have a loading screen. And that sort of captures that immersive feel like Matt's talking about. And that was one of the design points. That was one of the things that they really wanted to, to sort of bring to it. And I think that's also part of the reason why World of Warcraft kind of did as well as it did back then. Because it, it was sort of that spirit of adventure. You could go anywhere, see anything. And flight paths were sort of a way of giving you a bird's eye view of where you could run uh, and, and kind of explore without taking you out of that world now there yeah, are and it was compromised too it was because they weren't going to do flight points at one point there weren't the flight points weren't even connected you had to tell like you could go from point a to point b and that was it then you had to go from point b to point c you had to manually input that every time yeah like if, if you flew if you wanted to fly from say stormwind to booty bay you would fly from stormwind to um i want to say night vale I, I can't remember the name of that stupid town the one Dusk that's directly south of it. Duskwood. Duskwood, thank you. And then you'd, you'd get off at Duskwood and you'd have to get back on. You'd you know, have to tell them, okay, I want to go to this place. And then they they put in the connections and they put in auto connection. Auto, like we would just fly automatically 
from one place to another. There's been a lot of changes made, but the, the original conception of flight points was to be a way for, to allow you to, to travel to places you'd been before without making you actually get on your mount and go through all that again. It was sort of like a reward for getting to that place was you'd find the flight master in that area uh, and you'd, you know, click their little green arrow and the green exclamation point. Now you knew this place, it, you knew where it was and you could fly back to any place you'd already been. It, I, I, one thing I often talk to people who like, or say to people that, that do this or, or, or ask about this is play a game like Skyrim, unlock fast travel or fallout four where you have fast travel and use nothing but fast travel. How big does that world feel? It doesn't matter how big the actual map is. It doesn't matter how much there is in between those points anymore because you're skipping it. You're not experiencing it, and it sort of makes the world feel smaller. And that's what happens when you have those fast loads, those fast travel, and those those portal points. Like, how far away does Outland feel to you when you take a portal from Stormwind or Orgrimmar to there? It's just a loading screen. Doesn't feel that that far away. Back before that was a thing, and you had to go to the dark portal every time. It felt like an undertaking to get there, right? Like that was the whole intention of it. And so it's both are valid, but I actually kind of like the fact that WoW hasn't gotten rid of flight points or the fact that they're not super super speedy, because it's one of those rare artifacts of the game that's still around. And I still think it fits in a world where you get to appreciate how big these continents that they create are, how big the world actually is and how much it expands. Um, I mean, I could do without the flashy lights in Shadowlands. Uh, they could tone that down a little bit more. But otherwise, I, I actually kind of like it. So they could do it. I think at one point, I believe that was a question that was asked at BlizzCon, uh, and I think the joking answer was, find a mage. Uh, but I like that flight points are still there, and I think they should remain. I think that should be a legacy that the game always has. Yeah, I think, in general, I, I, I like flight points because, like I said, they allow you to see the world that you're a part of. You're traveling, but you still see the area around you. You still see the stuff underneath you, and I think that's cool. Yeah. I'd agree. But I think that's going to do it, unless there's anything else you want to add, sir? No, I think we covered it. Wonderful. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast slating community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, again, guys, if you have a question for the show, you can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, with subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for this show. Or you can hit us up on either our Patreon uh, Q and Podcast Questions channel or our Q Questions channel, and we will uh, we take questions from both of those as well. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here with us and for putting up with a few hiccups like an email not sending. And me not realizing it didn't send, you know, things like that. That's that's always great. Thanks for putting up with all that. Uh, the the wonders of live podcasting, guys. This has been the Blizzard Watch podcast, and we'll be here next week. 